Good morning. Are you as awake as I am? My body woke me up at 6.30 this morning, and then my eyes, I kept them shut for a while, and then I realized I was sleeping in a room with, the kids were already in our room, so I didn't even know that. So thank God for a wife that wakes up with them, and I always just sleep like a log. So I want to pray this morning to get us started. We're in the middle of a series in Joshua, the book of Joshua, which is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. My, my favorite book in the Old Testament it is kind of a, it's kind of a wash. I really like the Proverbs and Psalms, but it sounds like I like every book. But Nehemiah, Judges, and Joshua. And Judges, which is after this, which is so interesting, it says at the end of the book it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to see a little bit of what it looks like to do the things that are right in God's eyes and what are right in our own eyes. It's a little different. So let me pray to, to get us started with the sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would move over this time in this place and every place that people are watching online. Because God, we are gathered um, all over Steuben County, all over in different places and spaces. And Lord, we just ask that your presence would be felt. Um, both in our homes and here in the church building. But Lord, we ask most of all that God, you would convict and transform our hearts this morning. That if there's one line that you have given me and pre prepared for me to say, Lord, that that one line would just stick in our hearts and allow us to have transformation and change in our lives through your Holy Spirit. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to welcome you here, if you're online or if you're here in person, Today, we are, we've got this week and next week in the book of Joshua. We only have two weeks left in the book of Joshua, and I'm excited about that because the next two weeks are, are really exciting passages. And so we're talking about courage over fear, and you may notice today that I'm not going to mention the word fear a lot, but there's, this un, there's something under that. There's a lot of fear that does happen in our lives regarding this passage. So if you have our app... Um, then you can click on the top of the, the feed. You can find our YouVersion event. Um, in there, you can go into the app. It's kind of like our digital bulletin because, as you can see, if you walked in this morning, um, we don't have a paper bulletin. So today, we're going to talk about not what it seems. That's just simplifying it, but not what it seems. I once had an entire conversation, you might find this kind of funny, with someone that I thought was someone and they weren't. Okay, and let me explain. I was introduced, I wasn't introduced to the person, so that's not where the, the, the miscommunication happened, but I had a person say, I want you to meet so-and-so, and the next person that we walked up to, I thought was that so-and-so, but it wasn't. Can you say awkward? It was really awkward. Imagine having this whole conversation. And so, have you ever misjudged what you saw or heard? Let me tell you a story from my childhood. When... I was a kid, we used to go to my grandma's for Christmas Eve, and we drove, and we'd always stop at a jack-in-the-box. Do you guys know what a jack-in-the-box is? Ever seen jack-in-the-box? We'd get breakfast jacks. And we'd always stop at this jack-in-the-box in Watsonville, California, and, we, and my dad would make a turn, and then he'd make a left over a double yellow line. Okay? Christmas Eve, this is when I was about 12, he makes the left over a double yellow line, and I'm like looking over, and I see a sheriff's cart right there. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Sheriff pulls us over, super embarrassing. We're in the jack-a-box parking lot, and there's a cop behind us. I mean, talk about embarrassing, right? So then what happens is as the police officer is coming up to the car, 
my dad says, uh, how can I help you, sir? And she goes, ma'am. It's not what it seemed, right? <laughs> and he got a ticket. So that's a whole other story. We can tell that story later. But have you ever misjudged what you saw or heard? Yes, we all have. We all had those moments. We get our wires crossed in a conversations and things are not what they seem. Anyone that has children, anyone that has ever been married, anyone that's ever done anything, you've had your wires crossed at some point in communication because what is in front of us can sometimes be deceiving. Have you ever noticed that in sports where they hire someone, they pay them millions of dollars and they're a total flop? Like, I, I can think of different football players or basketball players, but they pay them millions of dollars and then all of a sudden they go to play and they're like, uh, well, they didn't actually do well at anything and we just spent $50 million on this player. Appearances can be deceiving, and what's in front of you can be deceiving. And what we're going to find in Joshua chapter 9 is a moment where the Israelites look right in front of them, and the appearances can be deceiving. They only rely on what they see to make decisions, and it gets them in trouble. The consequences are going to affect generations and generations. None of us, as we walked in here today, thought the pastor's going to say, my decisions will affect generations and generations after me, but that is what I'm telling you. It's, it's that that important that we are not deceived by just seeing what's right in front of us. So as we enter the beginning of chapter 9, we're at the beginning of a new section of the, chap uh, of the book of Joshua. The first eight chapters, Israel did what? They chose their battles. And now in chapter 9, they don't get to choose their battles from now on. And we also have a list of the people in Canaan, uh, everyone that's there, the first two verses tell us something that's important. Israel's enemies are not afraid of them anymore. In fact, they're ready to fight, and they're going to be proactive about it. So there's one other thing. If you, if you heard Neil preach last week, he talked about Achan's sin. This chapter is, is when the impact of Achan's sin before is realized by Israel. It's not just the fact that people died because of Achan's sin. It's now the reason they're, they're ready to fight is because of Achan's sin. So turn with me to, to Joshua chapter 9, and we're going to go verses 1 through 14. But right away, I'm just going to read through verse 5. And if, if you have your Bible with you, Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. I said fifth one time, and I realized it's like the sixth. Yeah, anyways. Um, first five verses. As soon as all the kings were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country, and in the lowland, all along the coast of the East Sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one. Okay, that's important right there. They gathered together as one. Bunch of different peoples. To fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. They, on their part, acted with cunning. Another word there would be ruse, and I'll use that word today. And went on to make ready provisions and, and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins that worn out, torn, and mended with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. I can just imagine this, man. Let's, let's get ready. Let's get packed up. We're going to go to Israel and we're going to trick them because we're going to use the oldest bread we have. Which, 
If you have a house with young kids like I do, there's no moldy bread. They just eat it all. It's like gone the day we get the bread. So they are waiting in, in, in doing this together. It says, all the kings gathering from highland, lowland, and the coast. This is the first coalition against Israel. It's not just one city. They've attacked one city, one city. Achan's sin caused a ripple effect here. If you heard anything from, from Neil's sermon last week, that, that sin is going to cause a ripple effect in your circles, your family, your work, your school, your community. One sin, you may think, ah, it doesn't affect anybody. But in reality, sin is like quicksand, and it just sucks you right in. It just sucks you right in. And in this case, Achan's sin sucked them right in. Pretty quickly, the Israelites get sucked in again, get pulled in a direction, and then they have to live with it for hundreds of years. The Gibeonites show up, and they're quickly, they, they're cunning, and they make up a story to trap Israel. Have you ever heard a tall tale? I've had so many people, when I was in social work, I always had people tell me a story, and you're like, yeah, right. You ever have those yeah, right moments? Come on, give me a yeah, right. Yeah, right. Okay. So you have that yeah, right moment. But no one's questioning them at this point. No one's questioning them at all. They're fully committed to this ruse. They're all in. They're, they're, they've got old donkeys, old wineskins, old clothes, sandals, dry and crumbly food. I mean, this is all in. There is no, there's no reason why. They should think otherwise, right? The Israelites couldn't see through it. And why, this is why it's important, because we're going to notice here, God sees the full picture, not, like, we only see what's right in front of us. So sometimes, you, you ever have a moment where you misjudge something else? Okay, so you misjudge another person. Someone follows through on something, or they don't follow through, or whatever it is. God sees the full picture of what's going on. You know, what is that person going through? We usually, we try not to put ourselves in other people's shoes because too quickly we'll realize that we're very similar to them and maybe we'd be more compassionate. And we, we, we kind of push back because if God sees the full picture, we just see what's right in front of us. So they only saw what's right in front of them. And we do the same thing. Let me give you some visual examples. There's a, there's a slide here. Okay, there's a few different commercials I've seen. You ever see the commercials where they just like pour liquid onto a diaper and they're like, oh, look, Pampers or, or name brand, whatever it is. Oh, oh, look, it's, it's so much better diaper. You see the one, it's so absorbent and the other one's a different color even. Oh, you must go with the name brand. Have they proved anything by showing you that? Just asking. Like, have they proved anything? Another example would be when you see a demo that might work or might not. So I, I, I thought of different demos like this, so like flex tape, okay? I love the flex tape commercial. Does it work? I don't know based on the commercial. Some people have told me it's really good and it does work. Other people think it's duct tape with a fancy name. So it just depends. But, but this is essentially what's happening. They have something right in front of them and they're looking at what they see and they're like, well, it's, that's the only way it could be because this is the description they just gave us. And so we need to sometimes dispute what's going on, not to be critical with others, but right there, the Israelites, who could have disputed their claims, the Gibeonites' claims? Who could dispute that one of those diapers obviously absorbs better? Who can dispute that without divine wisdom? They trusted in their own wisdom at this point. 
And so this is the, these are some questions I had as I read this. Are we only accepting what's right in front of us? Are we only accepting that part of us? Are we only seeing what's right in front of us? Are we only sensing what's right in front of us? But this is the most important one. Are we only trusting what's right in front of us? Are we only trusting what we see right in front of us? Is, is that it? Or is there something more to it? What, what is different when you're a follower of Jesus Christ? What changes your life? It's not necessarily just what you see right in front of you, but it's the bigger picture that God shows you. So let's go to verse 6. And you don't have to leave the diapers, I know. I, maybe I'm obsessed with diapers right now in my life, but that was a, the best example I thought of. I'm like, you see them pour this colored liquid, and they pour the colored liquid, and it's like, does it really work? What's in the colored liquid? You know, who's, who has blue liquid in their diapers? Like, I mean, I don't know. My kids never had blue liquid. Anyways, uh, verse 6. Verse 6. Verse 6, it says, And they went to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Okay, this is a little, like, okay. Verse 7, it says, But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, and that's the Gibeonites too, it's the, the area that they're from, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. You notice they didn't answer the question. They sidestepped the question. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because the name of the Lord your God, for we were heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth. So the Israelites come to Gilgal. The Gibeonites are, are seeking a covenant of peace. I want to stop there at verse 11 because it's, it's really important. But here's something that we don't notice when we first read this. They obviously know the customs of Israel. They've been spying on them. They know what's going on. This idea of a covenant wasn't really something that they would have used. Like Israel was the one culture in, in the Near East that that was something that was the norm. They would make treaties. They would do other things. But using that language is very important. So they knew what God had told the Israelites about peace with those in the promised land. He said, we're from a distant land. We're not close to you. What are you talking about? We're from a distant land. We're from far away. And then they kind of flatter them. You notice it says two things. We're from a distant land, and we want to be your servants. Well, why wouldn't you want another country being your servants? Come on. You know, that's exciting, right? They're using flattery and false humility. Flattery and false humility. And then Joshua questions their authenticity, though. He says, eh, you guys are being fake. I, I don't know. But he doesn't go to God about it. And that's what's important. Okay, sometimes we have only so much energy to push back when we know a story's not true. And so we push back, but we don't go to God. We just say, oh, well, they gave a good answer the second time. That's the problem. It's still a problem there. We cannot know people's hearts without God's help. So God knows our hearts and can see our intentions. You know, it's one thing to know someone did an action. It's a whole other thing to know the heart and the intention behind that said action. So verses 9 and 10 are more of the same. The Gibeonites repeat their lies, where they're from. They never exactly say where that is. 
They call God here, and this is very interesting, and I may be nerdy about this, but they call God by the Israelite name for God. There's, there's no one that does this in the Old Testament that's another people group. No one. They know the lingo. They say, all that God did, all that God did, oh, he did all this. But here's what's important again. They leave out details. What does it say at the top? Everyone knew about Jericho and Ai, and that's why they had this coalition. Well, the Gibeonites knew about it too, and instead of mentioning that, they mentioned God's exploits in Egypt. So it's like far off. Oh, we're kind of close to Egypt. We're not actually from this area. They're devious. You ever meet someone like this? You're like, all of a sudden, you walk off the car lot with a car, you know? Like, well, I just went, and then they talked to me, and then, oh, now I have a car, you know? Like, they're, they're like used car salesmen. No offense to car salesmen. They just, they sold you on something, and you're like, oh, but they didn't answer all your questions. Currently, an example of religious flattery is walking down the street and someone saying to you, God bless you. Can I have some money? You ever notice that? I don't think I've ever heard a, a human being in a normal context say God bless you and then ask for something. So like at church, if someone says God bless you or something like that, it's usually because I sneeze. So when someone says God bless you, they clearly don't know anything except for the fact that if they do that, maybe you'll be more generous with them because people that are religious, they would say, would be more generous. And so it's flattery. And the Israelites are confident at this point. God's provided victory after victory. Imagine, you're in the playoffs every year in sports. Well, you're pretty confident at that point. They're confident. Miracle after miracle, but they make mistake after mistake in this passage. It's not just one mistake, it's two mistakes, it's three mistakes, it's four mistakes. And they keep making mistakes. Which leaves me with this question that I have to ask myself, and I think we should all ask ourselves, do we only need the guidance of God when we're in doubt? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> they were confident, so they didn't go to God. And you're going to see, not just from this passage, but the next passage, how much it affected them for centuries because they chose to only go to God when they're in doubt. And yet... From what I read in the Bible, it says pray without ceasing in the New Testament, and that literally is, is, is a lifestyle. I'm going to God about tons of stuff. Like, God, why am I feeling this way about this person? Or why am I doing this? And, and, and it's, it's almost this moment of thinking we have it under control instead of realizing it's in God's control. And if it's in God's control, we would go to him even when we're not in doubt when we think things are assured. So we must be careful when we think we don't need God for this one, whatever that one thing is. And I know we go to God for big things, right? When I met my wife, I prayed a lot. Is she the right person? But am I praying for her daily now? You see, like, like everything's fine. Everything's good. When, when we, we need to also avoid thinking this is under our control. Like, if we think it's under our control, we don't pray. And so, um, when we're making decisions, I can think of a decision this year that's been very hard for a lot of parents, and that is, what do I do with my child in school? And if that's not bathed in prayer, just because, oh, well, these, these options, and oh, I'm going to figure this out, if that's not bathed in prayer, I, I don't know 
what, what the point is sometimes when we, we're going to have issues later on. We're going we're gonna to struggle. And maybe we don't have the 300-year consequences that the Israelites have, but we might have consequences that we, we aren't expecting because we're not going to God. And I think that, I think that even, even the end of this, if, if we go to God only when we're in doubt, that's to say that when we're not in doubt, we're confident of our own abilities over God's abilities to change the situation. And I think that's what's important to learn here. We can continue on verse, starting in verse 11. Some of you may wonder why I'm ending in verse 14, because verse 15, I can just tell you what happens. We, we know what's going to happen, right? We can tell what's going to happen next, but verse 11 says, so our elders and the inhabitants of our country said to us, this is the Gibeonites, take provisions in your hand for the journey and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on, on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they have burst and these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Anyone live in Fremont? I'm not dissing Fremont, but if you live in Fremont, raise your hand for a second. That's like you coming to church and saying that your shoes are worn out. I mean, that's what they're doing. I mean, it's like, hey, it's the town down the street. Like, that's what the Gibeonites just did. They're like, hey, they don't know the neighborhood. They don't know Fremont's over there, so we're going we're gonna to pretend, right? I used to live in Fremont. I like Fremont. So, But it's close, right? Or Hamilton or LaGrange. Like, it's somewhere close. And they're going all in again. The Gibeonites, they sidestep the questions of where they're really from. They use Israel's language again by saying elders. That wasn't some, something common in the culture. They had ruler and, like, Rulers, they reiterate their flattery by saying, oh, we want to be your servants. And they use the language of covenant again. Do you feel like you're, you're, you're hearing a broken record? You know, what I, you know what I feel like right here is that they're being so pushy that the Israelites make a decision without going to God. So yesterday, we're getting ready for school and my wife wanted to take my daughter to get an outfit. She told her she wanted to do this. But she also said, we can do it any time before school starts, which is a while. She wore me down. My daughter that's six talked to me and kept asking for about two hours. And I was like, just go. Right? I didn't pray about it. I just was like, get out of the house. You're driving me insane. And I feel like that's what they feel like right here. They're just like, you know what? We'll make peace with you. You've showed us 14 times. And then it made me think of Hamlet. It made me think of Hamlet. And, and I know Shakespeare, it's kind of a weird thing to bring up here, but thou doth protestest too much. You ever seen that, that, that part of Hamlet? It's like, you're faking it because you're protesting so much. You know, strongly held opinion that really actually behind it is a lie. The men of Israel inspected these provisions and they didn't ask God what, what he wants. They just saw what's right in front of them and they just were like, oh, okay. And then we get to verse 15, which I did not read because it just made, they made the covenant. They didn't, they didn't go to God. 
the results were of this were far-reaching for generations. And you may wonder, there's another thing that happens in us when we feel pressured, is we tend to rush decisions. And I've been in those my whole lifetime. You know, it's a sales tactic to get you to like, like make a decision now. You only have the sale for this day. Why do you think stores do that? Like, if it was a sale all the time, no one would ever go to the store. But, ooh, it's right now, this weekend, we gotta do this. There's a time-sensitive nature to, to this. And they are following this to a T. We're talking thousands of years ago, they had this figured out. They knew, they were selling it good. We can learn from their mistake, though. The Israelites' mistake. God gives wisdom, we just have to ask. God, give me wisdom. God, I don't know what to do about this. God, I'm stressed out about that. I, what do I do? It says in the New Testament that the peace of God which transcends understanding will be given to you when we pray. And so it, it, it's there. Joshua chapter 9, and if you read this ever again, if you read this in devotional time or outside of church at some point, is a warning against cocky independence. When you think you can do it on your own, you think you can do everything, and yet right in front of you, there's decisions you're making that maybe you don't see yet, but have lasting consequences. So we need God's wisdom in trials and every day. James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, can I get an amen for that? We lack wisdom, right? <laughs> amen. We lack wisdom. So if any of you lacks wisdom, we lack wisdom. Let him ask God, the God of the universe that is in control, who gives generously without reproach. He's not holding back. He is not holding back any of his wisdom, and it will be given to him. So all we have to do is ask. But sometimes we don't open our mouths at that point, right? Just like the leaders in Israel. Just like the Israelites, we tend to accept God's power but ignore his wisdom. Have you noticed that they kept accepting God's power leading up to this? And now they don't want to go to him for wisdom. We need the power of God for our obvious enemies. For our obvious enemies, we need the power of God. Can I get an amen for that too? I want to keep you awake. Amen. But we also need the wisdom of God for our subtle enemies. The ones that can be deceptive. The ones that maybe are leading us astray. How we do this is going to God in all things. All things. It's not just some things, it's all things. You know, I think it's interesting here. Israel was not faulted for being deceived. But they were faulted for not going to God. Let me say that again. They weren't faulted for being deceived, but they were faulted for not going to God. And that is two different things there. Two very different things. We put ourselves at risk when we forget to seek God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. They leaned on their own understanding. And you know what? I'm honest with myself. I don't know what I would have done in the situation. They had dry, crumbly bread. They had broken wineskins. They had, they had tattered clothes. They probably looked like beggars. And you know what? How dangerous could they be? 
God's, God's got this. He's, he's got the wind in our sails. We've just gone into the promised land, and he's, he's fulfilling what we've been waiting for, for for centuries, and now everything's fine. But it says in verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 3, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do you hear anything in this passage where they acknowledge God's power in their life? In fact, the only time you hear about God is from the Gibeonites that are trying to deceive them. The Israelites only leaned on what they could see and didn't consult God. This covenant that they made with the Gibeonites, which we're going to see the consequences just in the next chapter, in chapter 10 as well, the covenant was kept for centuries until King Saul murdered the Gibeonites. He went into their countryside and murdered them. And then what does God do? Because God's people making a covenant that God says he will keep, God causes a famine for three years in Israel. Because they killed someone that he originally, like, this is, a, this is your land, but they made a covenant of peace. It was a mistake. But then the famine, how did the famine end? Why was it three years? Because they repented. They repented and were forgiven. We can be forgiven for a lot of things, but the consequences still remain. The consequences still remain. There's so many examples of this in our world. People that at one point in their life really struggled with something, or maybe they were incarcerated. Well, the consequences are still there, and they may have a changed heart, changed mind, changed intention, and that Spirit of God may be changing their life. But the consequences still remain. Appearances can be deceiving. You ever tap someone on the shoulder in the grocery store and realize it's not the person you thought it was? Oh, so awkward. So awkward. I don't know how many times I've done that. I thought you were someone else. Usually I don't even get that out. They kind of give me a weird look. Now with the masks and everything, they give me a really weird look. Don't touch people. (laughs) I want to end with this quote that applies to this passage. And I think we need to to reevaluate as we start both, both the school year, the fall. There's a lot of things happening right now that, that this, this kind of summarizes everything in this passage. It says, in our personal relationships, in our church life, in our homes, in our families, as well as our business and professional life, we are under constant pressure to not follow God's word in complete dependence and obedience, but to make alliances with people that seem impressive and charming, yet will lead us further and further away from the will of God. We are not ignorant of the devil's devices. We are not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. And we must never forget that appearances can be deceptive, and indeed, very often they are. I'm not telling you to look under every rock for something that's there. But I'm telling you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. When something seems off, it's probably off. And, and if you think you need to go to God, this was a big decision. You notice it's making a covenant with another people group. It's not just, 
well, should I go to the grocery store today? And what should I put on my list? That's not necessarily what it is. But the Bible does say pray without ceasing. Maybe if we prayed more, we'd see more of what God's doing and we wouldn't, like the Israelites, find ourselves in a difficult situation. So, so what? What does this mean for us? What do we learn about God in this passage? If you notice, God's really not mentioned much. It's kind of like the book of Esther almost here. When it's mentioned, it's by the enemy. God sees the full picture. We only see what's right in front of us. I think if we live that out, we would be a lot more apologetic with people. Because our first impression, and when we go to people, and we talk to people, or we confront people about something, or maybe we avoid confronting something, whatever it is, our first impression is wrong. And the impression that God gives us after we we process and we go to him about it would be different. God knows our hearts and sees our intentions. You ever have a hard day? I think a lot of us have had a lot of hard days in the past few months. If you have a hard day, you get to the end of your day, and almost everything kind of sets you off, just internally, maybe it's your internal dialogue, maybe it's how you're talking to people or how you're saying things. God sees our hearts and our intentions, and that's the very moment you need to go to him, God, I've had a rough day and you know that, please give me wisdom on how to respond to others in this moment. Please just give me the wisdom. I don't have it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Those are the kind of prayers that he's longing for. That's a James 1.5 prayer right there. Because God gives wisdom, we just have to ask. You know, there's not a lot of things that we just have to ask about, ask for. There's a whole ton of things that we don't just have. Like, like if I asked for a million dollars, I just like walked around asking people for that. Or I said, God bless you, can I have a million dollars? You know, like the illustration I gave earlier. It's not going to happen. But God says in James that if we ask, he's going to give. It's the same thing when it comes to, to forgiveness for sins. It's the same thing. There's so many different things that he says if we just ask. And I think... When we ask, we're afraid to ask. There's some fear there, but then there's also we don't ask because we think we have it all under control. I've come to the realization what's happening in our world right now is specifically this opportunity because our world has been torn sideways. It's just everything is not what it seems. We're not really sure about a lot of stuff. And, and we're all like thinking like different things. I, I've met so many different people that have said different opinions about things and I'm sitting here going, why are we looking to a TV screen or a phone screen when we should be looking to God right now? That's, the, that's what I keep seeing. So if God gives wisdom, we just have to ask. The wisdom's not coming from anywhere else. It's not coming from anywhere else. And so here, we see what happens here. I mentioned Saul. That was centuries later. Centuries later, God still was faithful because the people made this covenant, even though they didn't consult him or go to him. Because I'm sure God would have said, uh, they're lying. If they just asked. So let's ask this week. Let's ask God for wisdom. I want you to do something as I close in prayer. 
Think of one thing that you need wisdom from God from. Like something that you need wisdom right now. A decision, um, a situation. Maybe it's just like wisdom in general. Think of one thing. And that I want to ask you this week to continually pray for every day. For seven days. See if you can do it. Just pray once a day. Um, I know how crazy it is to try to get a quiet space. Try to find a quiet space. Wake up five minutes early. Do something. But do that this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we, we close this morning's service and worship, God, we just we thank you for the many blessings that you give us. We thank you for that you give generously when it comes to wisdom. When we're, we have concerns in our life, God, you can change and transform our life from a life of worry and fear to a life of courage and pursuit of you. And so we ask that you would give us more of the picture, that you would allow us not to just see what's right in front of us, but you'd allow us to see the big picture of what's going on in our lives. God, help us to see other people's hearts and intentions and allow us the great privilege and opportunity of having some of your wisdom. Let us not be like Achan. Or in this passage, it wasn't even, it wasn't just Joshua, it was the leaders that they saw things in front of us, in front of them, and just believed when there was a deeper level of what's going on. God, help us to see clearer and help us to seek you for wisdom and no other source. Lord, we say this all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ.